went back, and she was in good spirits, a little anxious, understandably. But it uh, seems like all went well at this point. And I also saw uh, Dolores and Rocky today, and they are trying to get Rocky's sodium levels balanced. And she texted me just a few minutes ago that they're hoping to come home tomorrow. So other things that uh, we can be prayerful about. I had not. No, I did not know that. So Garnell will not have to have surgery, which is a good thing. Janet Davis. Is that Duke? What else? Cindy Blanks is at home, which is good. He's at home, though? Okay. Right. Cindy and John Lawrence. And you said Thomas, Thomas and Ed Long. Is there an update with Judy or? Yes, she's having her surgery on Friday. Ben, I think my husband Tommy next week get another shot in his eye for diabetes. Okay. Cindy's husband Tommy will have a shot in his eye. That sounds painful. Oh, they know. Still. Other things we can be praying about. Yes, ma'am. First Corinthians 12. When I am weak, then I'm strong. Yes, ma'am. What else? I do need to be praying for our our country and those in charge of it. No doubt. Our military. Soldiers and families. Who is that? Your mother. Miss Kay's mother. Okay. Miss Helen Bowes. Not feeling well. Anybody else? Was she connected to a local church anywhere? Okay. Helen Jones. Yeah, she had her surgery. It's next week. I was thinking it was this week. Helen. Yeah, she's having her neck surgery in Raleigh. Okay. 
María. All right. Let's uh, let's go for the Lord. God, we do come before you with things in our minds, with heavy hearts, with concerns, people in our church and people connected to our church in various ways, with those who are struggling with sickness and with health issues, those struggling with recovery, trying to adapt to a new way of life after suffering from various things. God, we confess that as frustrating as these things are, as hard to deal with as they are, they are not our, they will not have the last word. Sickness has no ability to thwart your plan in our life. Sickness will not have the final say. Lord, I do pray, as we were reminded just a moment ago, that we would hold fast to the promise of 1 Corinthians 12, that your power is made perfect in our weaknesses. So with Paul, we will want to say, so I will boast all the more in my weakness, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so God, as our brothers and sisters suffer with various kinds of things, we, we pray, O oh God, that your power would be perfected in their weaknesses, that, that you would dwell near to them in special ways, to bind them up and to hold them fast. God, I ask that you would cause them to set their minds on your word, to know that you are holding them together, to know that you are filling them up. Lord, we, we pray for our nation. We, we are in a tenuous spot with, with all, all kinds of things, with an, uh, uh, an impeachment looming, uh, 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 an election looming, war and unrest. God, we pray for those whom you have placed in charge. And God, we pray that you would give them wisdom to lead well, to lead for the sake of the good of the people. God, we pray for our soldiers as they are deploying and mobilizing. Pray that you keep them safe. Pray for their families, the ones that they leave behind. Uh, the, the wives and the husbands who stay behind. God, I pray that you would Dwell with them and bind them up. Lord, as we turn our attention now to your word to discuss the very real emotions of worry and anxiety, I pray that you'd give us insight to understand what you say about these things. We are not, we are not confined to worry and anxiety. We don't have to worry. We don't have to have anxiety. Lord, give us ears to hear what you would say about it. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you come and open our hearts and our minds so that we can hear and eyes that we can see and so that we might see wondrous things in your word and taste and see that you are good. So Lord, we ask these things in faith. We ask them in the power of your name. Amen. Uh, yes, I have a few. Uh, Matthew 6 is where we will be uh, this evening. If you have your Bibles, anybody else need a handout? Mr. Johnny will help you. Matthew 6. Yep. So as Debbie Sue said, uh, I probably wrote this exactly for you. If you feel that way, then you are not alone. I too feel that way. Uh, this is probably something that we all struggle with more than we admit, more than we realize, more than we like to talk about. And so this is also probably the most common, commonly referenced portion of the Sermon on the Mount uh, because we all worry, because we all have anxiety. We all we all face things every single day as made clear by the prayer request list that we just made. That, that we, all, we all encounter things every day that, that cause us to worry, that cause us to have anxiety. Sometimes we have anxiety for, 
long periods, and I personally struggle with these things. I have had health issues connected to anxiety, where it's just been you know, a, a year and a half or two years ago, I went through such a period where I ended up having to have a lot of tests done, and we thought there was something more serious going on, and what it turned out was, was I was just very stressed out. And stress just has an effect on your body. And if you are a stressed out person like Debbie Sue and I, then you know it really can, it does things to your body. And when it does things to your body, that's your heart and your mind, it comes out. And when it comes out, it usually comes out around those who don't need it. So just know that an anxious, worrisome person is going to talk to you tonight about worry and anxiety. So sorry about that. Uh, what we need to understand right up front, though, is that worry is a provision. When you think about the word provision, we think about it in a positive way. If somebody provides something for you, it's a good thing. We seek provision. It's a positive thing. But worry is a provision. Not in a positive sense, but in a negative, in a negative sense. It is the provision of a master. And we've just finished talking about, Jesus, if you remember last week, we talked about uh, the two masters. Provision is, I mean, worry is the provision of an idol. When something is in God's place in our lives, it provides for us worry. It, it detracts our eyes, it detracts our hearts from being set upon what is most essential. And so when we allow something or someone to come before God in our lives, we are bringing worry and anxiety into our life. And that's what Jesus is going to say. And so, you see on your notes, it's a follow-up from the two masters section. It's the provision of a master, as I said, just as peace is a provision of the master. You see there, I've got that word capitalized. Well, let's ask the question, what is worry? What is Jesus saying? I looked up worry. Webster says it's a mental distress or agitation resulting from concern, usually from something impending or anticipated. Or it manifests itself with anxiety. So, just out of curiosity, uh, I'll tell you how, how anxiety tends to affect me. Um, when I went through that period where I was extremely stressed out, I developed a stomach issue to where I get really bad stomach cramps and I can't eat. And sometimes uh, if it gets really bad, I'll, have, I'll lay on the floor and curl up in a ball. And it's quite something to see because I'm a full-grown man. Really, I'm an overgrown man. But it, you know, it's not something that's overly attractive and it's not something I brag about. But it's a very real effect of anxiety. So I'm curious... If you know yourself well enough, how does anxiety affect you or even somebody you know? Sleeplessness? Sleeplessness. Headaches? Headaches. Yeah, diarrhea? What? Short-temperedness? What else? Eating? Either too much or lack of? When we find ourselves in those anxious moments, we look for comfort, right? And sometimes we seek it in different ways. Some people turn to a substance, whether it's food or alcohol or drugs or, or something. We're looking for relief. We're looking for comfort. But it's, it's that mental distress or mental agitation. And it can come from a number of things. You, you might know there's something out there that's going that's I know it's in my schedule it's it's got to happen and I start thinking about it and depending on what it is you might even fixate on it so if you know uh something's coming up in a week and you know you you would rather give your left arm than encounter whatever this thing is then it starts affecting you you may be you know you, you may be not sleep well you may be uh irritable you may be mean you might start eating or stop eating. 
There's, there's, no, there's no end to how anxiety affects us in, in, in ways. But we need to understand there is a right worry and anxiety, and there's a wrong worry and anxiety. We can worry about good stuff. We can have anxiety about things that are worth being anxious over. Like when uh, a mom and a dad are going into the hospital to deliver the child, it's right to be anxious. <laughs> See? Debbie Sue is for them too. I wasn't even thinking about that. But it's right to be anxious, right? It's right to be anxious about all that's about to happen. Now, it's wrong to let that spill over into lack of faith. But it's right to be anxious in the sense that there's a lot of stuff going on. I know that I'm not in control. And I have a choice. I have a choice on how I respond to that. Uh, you see it there. Sometimes we can, it can be appropriate with expression of intense concern or care for someone or something. Parents worry over their children, and when they get to a certain age, children begin to worry over their parents. And there's just all kind of things that cause us to have intense concern. And some of those things are good, some of those things are right, but in each and every one of them, there's a temptation to take it too far. There's a temptation to try and take over and say, all right, I've got to figure out how to fix this. I've got to figure out how to make sure this doesn't fail or this doesn't hurt me, or how can I get, get out of this? And So we need to hear what Jesus says and ask this question, what, what leads us into worry? If you're here last week and, and you remember, Jesus says what leads us into worry is when we have a, a focus on the world. When, when we are trying to go back and forth between two masters, there are a lot of folks, or a lot of folks, who try to have God when it's easy, convenient, or when something really bad is going on, and have themselves and what they want all the rest of the time. And Jesus says, it doesn't work like that. He says, what will end up happening is, if that's what you're trying to do, to do you remember what he says? Yeah, you'll end up hating one and loving the other. You'll be loyal to one and despise the other. So how that works out with a lot of people with God when it comes to hardship, if something happens in your life and you're, you've got one foot in each realm and something bad happens to you, you end up saying, God, why would you let this happen? That's the kind of question that comes out of a two-mastered heart. Because if you are fully and completely invested in God, if you are allowing the Bible to influence all of your life and establish your expectations, when something bad happens, you are reminded you're living in a world plagued by sin. And you are reminded that God brings hardships into the lives of His people on purpose. And it's through those hardships that a number of things can happen. Primarily that God is glorified but also that we are bound up and strengthened in our faith. Because you might recall 2 Corinthians 4.16, that though my outer self wastes away, or literally though my body decays, he says my inner spirit is being renewed day by day. So trying to live in both worlds really makes us uh, crazy. It will drive us absolutely crazy and yet, we try to park ourselves there all too often. One of my favorite pastors, his name is Eugene Peterson. He went to be with the Lord last year. He said in one of his books, everything in the gospel is livable. So anything in the Bible, anything in the gospel message, anything in, in, any command in the Bible is livable. And then he goes on to say, he says, his job as a pastor is to make sure his people live it. So everything's livable, and my job as the pastor is to make sure you understand how to live it out. And so when it comes to worry, when it comes to anxiety, Jesus says there is a remedy to that. So much of a remedy that you don't have to be worried and anxious anymore. 
which is an incredible promise, and yet for some of us, it seems like that's on the other side of the world. I've seen pictures of that. I've just never been there. I've heard of people not worrying, but I don't know what that's like. And Jesus said, it's not just that it's there and you just can't see it. It's actually very, very available. So if you've got your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 6. I'm actually going to start reading uh, in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness... How great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which... Today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So, if you're like me, and you get to worrying, you come to a text like this that says, don't worry, seek God's kingdom. You find yourself feeling like that's less than satisfactory in the moment. Sometimes we can be confused as to how those two things tie together. How is righteousness and God's kingdom the answer to me worrying about this sickness in my loved one's life? How is seeking God's kingdom and how is righteousness the, the answer, the remedy to worrying about whatever situation I've got in my life? Well, I hope, I hope to help you understand, to help us understand and to remind myself what Jesus says about all this stuff. So he says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you drink or your body. So he, he, he points to God's care for his creatures. He starts off by saying, you're worrying, you're anxious about all kinds of things. He's talking to a crowd of people, some of whom are very wealthy, some of whom no doubt were very poor. And so some people had stocked pantries and stocked fridges, which is probably most of us tonight. And so a lot of us don't have anxiety about where our next meal is coming from. We probably have more anxiety about, I don't want to eat what's in the pantry. And so Jesus is not just talking to poor folks here. He's talking to very wealthy folks. Because he knows that the same type of anxiety, the same temptation to be anxious applies to both. And so he first points to God's care for his creatures. He says, look at the birds. When you start getting anxious, when you start worrying, do you pause and say, I see that bird and I am reminded? <laughs> I don't think Jenny does that. But think about, think about the simplicity of that action. 
And yet, think about the depth and the richness of that action. Jesus says when you get so caught up, when something has so distracted you from what's most essential, just remember God made that bird. Because that should remind you that behind behind that bird is all of creation that God made of which we are a part. And so God says, remember that that bird is not making... uh, So I've mentioned this a number of times recently. Uh, I encourage all of you to buy the Jesus Storybook Bible. All right? Some of you already have it, and you're already benefiting from it. But this, the, this particular story in the Jesus Storybook Bible is very uh, helpful because it kind of translates it. Birds don't make supermarket lists and go to the supermarket. And it's got a little bird pushing a cart full of groceries. But, you know, it, it, that's a helpful image for us. Because you know what birds don't do? They don't make grocery lists, they don't go to the store, and they don't stock up their pantries. God says, remember, they survive because I provide for them. And so he says, remember God's care for His creatures. And his point is that when the disciples are responsible, when His disciples are responsible to carry out the proper way of life, as God says so, that God is faithful to carry out His end of the deal. When, when we are faithful to walk as God says to walk, to live as God says to live, then we can have full faith and assurance that God is going to take care of us. Now here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that if we live righteous lives, we'll never have an empty pantry. That doesn't mean that if we live righteous lives, we're never going to struggle financially. What that means is even if we die, God has us. What that means is Jesus is looking past something as minimal as an empty pantry. Now that's not normal folk talk. For some people, for a lot of people in the world, for most of the people in the world, food is a life or death thing. And so what Jesus is not promising is if you behave, God will keep you fed. What Jesus is saying is, when we live our lives righteously before God as He has said, then we will understand provision in a very different way. Maybe you've heard me say a few times that that the gospel is not just something that God slaps on us like, hey, you're saved now, keep keep going in your life, you've got your get-out-of-hell-free card. The gospel is something that so radically reorients our lives that we begin to understand and think about things differently. Like provision, like food. So that I can say, I think it's Psalm 38, I could be wrong, somewhere in the Psalms. There's a verse that says, precious to the Lord is the death of His saints. You know why it says that? Because God understands something about death that we often forget. That death is not the end for the people of God. And yet we get so fixated on trying to avoid death at all costs. And what God is saying is, when we live righteously before Him, when He is our Master and nothing else is our Master, we begin to understand provision very differently. You see, we are reminded in Scripture that humans are the crown pinnacle of God's creation. There is nothing in creation that is more valuable than mankind. If we we get that from Genesis chapter 1, nothing else in mankind bears God's likeness, bears His image. Nothing else in, in creation was commissioned by God to carry out God's rule in the world. And so we are, we are very special to God in that way. And that's why Jesus says, look at the birds. God cares for them. How could you think that God wouldn't care for you? You're infinitely more valuable than the birds, than all the animals. And yet God takes care of them. So let that be a reminder that even in the most simplistic of things, God is actively in control. So he says we shouldn't worry about the most simple of things, which is life and food, because worrying cannot deal with them anyway. My worry and my anxiety has never achieved for me anything positive. It usually... uh, 
messes up relationships. It causes strife in my marriage. It causes strife in my home. It causes me to feel bad physically. There's a lot of times when I just need to go for a run and work it out. And my loving wife encourages me, go for a run. But it's never achieved for me anything positive. And so that's why Jesus says it's not going to actually get you what you're worrying about. So don't worry. But then he says, he goes on to verses 28. He says, and why are you anxious about your clothes? Why are you anxious about feeling like you need to have things? About material things? And... He draws attention to God's care over creation itself. And he's calling us to remember that if God cares for the birds and the flowers, He surely cares for us in an even greater way. Now, he highlights our worry about clothing and possessions, but he's already talked about this, if you remember. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths destroy. Talked about that last week, how... Those harmless little creatures can ruin very expensive clothes. And yet we, have, we can invest all kinds of money in all kinds of things. Clothes or possessions or hobbies or anything else that can in an instant be gone. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't get so lost in the world in thinking that your wealth is in stuff. Because that stuff can be gone tomorrow. That's why he's saying, why do we get so fixated on something like clothes? He says that the lilies of the field neither toil nor spin. That is, they don't, they don't work hard to look as they do. Now, I don't know if you, if you like flowers. I like flowers. Uh, I, I can't grow flowers, but I like to, to look at flowers. And uh, one of my wife's and I's favorite things to do is to, uh, to go to Biltmore. Anybody like Biltmore? I don't get paid to rep for Biltmore, but if you, if you can go, you should go. Uh, but we, we like to go during the various seasons because they, they, they decorate the gardens and all the flowers bloom. And in some seasons there's the azalea bushes and some there are the, uh, the daisies and the tulips and all kinds of stuff, the rose garden. And you take a moment and you think about just how pretty flowers are. Some of them have multiple colors. They have fantastic designs. They smell good. And not at any point along the way did they try that. Did they try to achieve what they, what they are. God made them to be that way. And if you know anything about Solomon, Solomon was uh, the wisest person that's ever lived. The Bible tells us that. He's also the richest king that Israel ever had. And during Solomon's reign, people would come from all around the world to bring Solomon their problems because he was... He had wisdom that nobody else had. So they would come and present their problem to Solomon. And at one time, the queen of Sheba comes and she presents herself to Solomon. And the, 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 the reference there, 1 Kings 10, talks about how beautiful, how splendid Solomon's attire is. I mean, he was a, an infinitely wealthy king. He had power that no, no other person had. He had wisdom that no other person had. He was in many ways, the most attractive person in the world. And Jesus says, don't get, don't get so caught up in his clothes and his money and everything else that you, that you misunderstand the flowers are prettier than Solomon. Because Solomon's wealth, while it's so attractive to us, I'd love to not have to worry about money. I'm sure you would too. While that's attractive to us in one sense, if you know anything about Solomon's life, you know what it got him. Anybody know anything about Solomon's life? <laughs> you might know how many wives he had. He had 700 wives and 300, um, yeah, concubines. He disobeyed, <laughs> which is interesting. It's an interesting point because if you read the, the story of the life of Solomon, God says, don't allow, don't allow women from another culture to come in because they'll, they'll, they'll turn you against God. 
And what Solomon did is he was turned against God. Am I ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? So Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. And he's, he calls himself the preacher in there. And essentially what Ecclesiastes, what he says is, hey, I had enough money to try everything, and so I tried everything. And then Ecclesiastes ends with this. He says, all has been seen, it's all been heard, the court has ruled. The chief end of man is to fear God and keep his commands. I've tried everything. I've had the riches, I've had the wisdom, I've had the experiences. And yet in the end, he says, what is most fulfilling, what I was made for, is to fear God and to be obedient to him. And so Jesus is saying, even the most splendid person on earth, that person doesn't compare to the beauty with which God put into flowers. Which is counterintuitive to us. And yet God is saying, remember. Remember what is ultimate. If we are so attracted to money, if we are so attracted to wealth, if we are so attracted to having things, then you don't understand this. This doesn't compute in your mind. And Jesus is going, he would say to you, remember, you can't have two masters. We can become so consumed with worry about various material things that we forget to marvel at the natural, God-given, God-created beauty of natural things. Things that God put into the world to minister to our hearts. We see the birds, remember, God cares for them. We see the flowers, remember, God dressed them. And we should be reminded that God cares for us. Yeah. yeah. That's not here in this text, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, verse 30, there's a shift. He just starts talking about the grass. He says, uh, But if God shall clothe the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is sown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And what that means is... In the springtime, when grass would grow up, and it's not the green grass that we think about long grass. It's, it's more like uh, hay or, or, or uh, just wild grass. It's two or three feet high. When it would grow up, they would take a sickle to it and cut it down and bundle it up, and that would become what they burned to warm their homes. And so what Jesus is saying is, don't, don't miss the point. God makes Something as insignificant as grass, beautiful. And one day it's alive, and the next day it's inside of an oven. And if God takes the effort to make that kind of insignificant thing beautiful, do you really think that He doesn't care for you? Do you really think that something going on in your life is of less concern to God than grass. Because sometimes we, we think like that. And so his point is that if God's care extends to the most inconsequential things of nature, how is it that we forget and disbelieve that God cares for us? Flip the page. Those with eyes of faith that works will see the beauty of God's creation in contrast to human efforts at splendor, and will learn daily how to follow God's guidance and how to trust His provision. Here's what that means. If we're blind to the world, if we're blind to how God has made the world, if we are blind to how God is working in our lives, then every day is going to be a struggle. We're going to have worry. We're going to have anxiety. We're not going to be trusting Him because our faith isn't working. Jesus says, O you of little faith. Now we need to understand this because he's talking to the disciples. Those who follow him. And what he's not saying is, you see it there, he's not saying that they are lacking faith altogether. He's saying your faith is broken. It's not an absence of faith as much as it is a deficiency of faith. Your faith isn't working the right way. You see, the, the pursuit of material wealth is nothing more 
than an attempt to fill a void in our, in our lives. We are, we are looking to material things. We are looking to the world to give us something. Otherwise, we wouldn't have any interest in the world. We might be looking to the world to provide something that we need. Like if we're hungry, we need food. If we are cold, we need clothes. But a lot of times, especially in our present culture, we're looking to the world to gratify us, to make us happy, to please us. And so we need to understand that when we pursue those things so very fervently, we are causing our faith to be deficient. We're causing it to not work right. And Jesus has said we can't serve both God and money. We can't be attached to the world and in love with the world and have God as our master. In in the Bible, it speaks of money and possessions in a number of ways. And it tells us there's three main purposes for money. To, uh, to give appropriate care to one's family, to help those in need, especially those within the family of faith, and to carry out the mission of God. To care for your family, to meet your needs, to care for others, especially those within the church who are in need, and to carry out the mission of God. But when wealth, money, and possessions take on a role different from these, it becomes an idolatrous master. I know people who have a lot of stuff, and inevitably they have a lot of headache. They're worried about all the stuff that they have, whether it's making payments on all the debt that they have, or maintaining all the material things that they have, or whatever it's going to be. More stuff usually just brings more headache, more commitment, less time to invest in the things of God. And so, in verses 31 and 32, Jesus gives us a different reason, which is that God is interested in your life. He says, remember that God cares for His creatures. Remember that material wealth can't satisfy you. The world can't provide you what you're ultimately looking for. So remember that God has a very distinct interest in you. He says, therefore, don't be anxious saying, what do we eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear? That's what the Gentiles do. And the Gentiles here is used as a word for non-Christians. The people who do not know God. The people who are not looking to God. Those are the people who are so torn apart. Worrying about food. Worrying about clothes. Worrying about money. Worrying about stuff in this world. And so what he's saying is, don't be like the non-Christians. They are so consumed that they don't know the way out of a paper bag. And you say, that's why they're anxious. You're anxious because you love the world. Don't be like that. And he says, remember, your heavenly Father knows. God knows that we need these things. So the emphasis is in this verse is on those who operate outside of God's values. If you are operating outside of the way that God says to live, you're going to be anxious. If you are operating outside of the way God says to live, you're going to worry. And it's going to be the sinful type of anxiety and the sinful type of worry. The absence of inappropriate anxiety, which is that anxiety that's directed towards something idolatrous, when it's directed towards something that God says, don't let that be controlling in your life, when, or the absence of that, comes from an understanding that God provides all that I need. If I have, hear me well, if I have a conviction and an understanding that comes through the Holy Spirit that God provides all that I need, then that is going to absolutely undo all kinds of idolatrous worry and anxiety. Such an attitude, a pastor said, removes people from the preoccupation with their own worldly success and joy. If I understand that God provides all that I need, then that's going to keep me from looking to the world 
It's going to discourage the wealthy and the comfortable from concentrating on their own success, and it's going to discourage the poor and the uncomfortable from concentrating on their misery. A right focus on who God is, a right understanding of who God is and how He works, is the answer to my worry. It's the answer to my anxiety, which is why Jesus says, therefore, have the right priorities. Have the right priorities. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so, the culmination of this section of teaching is the answer to anxiety and worry. Do you know what the answer to anxiety and worry is? It's what Jesus says. Be holy. Be righteous. Seek the things of God. We're reminded of his statement in chapter 5 verse 20 where he says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes, you can't get into heaven. Meaning this, if, if you hear me and you're thinking, I need to really get my act together and start behaving so God will take this anxiety away, you're hearing me wrongly. Because we can't behave our way out of anxiety. Jesus says, unless you're better than these folks over here who are pretty good, in a way that you can never be, then it's not going to, it's not going to do you any good. What Jesus is driving us to see is that we need Him in a way that we don't often realize that we need Him. To seek the kingdom does not mean that we're looking for something that's not here or something that we can't find because Jesus has already said the kingdom of God is here. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all say Jesus came to establish the kingdom. And so in the context, it means that Jesus' disciples are to make the kingdom of heaven the center of their daily priorities. So when you get up in the morning, anybody ever heard somebody say, when you get up every morning and preach the gospel to yourself? Anybody ever heard that? All right, well, I'm, I'm bringing it to you fresh. When you get up every morning, whether you need to set an alarm clock or a reminder or write it somewhere you see it, before you do anything, preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself, God made today. God is going to provide for you today. God says, don't worry today. God says, pursue the kingdom today. And do you know what? If we do that, if we do that, we will experience a very different kind of living than what the world has. Because really, when we walk around stressed out and anxious and and just overwhelmed with worldly stuff, what we're saying to the people outside is, there's nothing special in here. Seeking the kingdom doesn't mean that we're pursuing salvation because... The disciples' entrance in the kingdom is secured by Jesus' righteousness that He gives. We're not trying to earn our salvation each morning. Jesus is calling us to recognize what we already have. It means that we are to pursue the growth that, that comes through righteousness. There's a word in the Bible called sanctification, which means the, the continual growth in Christ-likeness. And we will be being sanctified from the moment we're converted until the moment we die. There's never a point at which we stop growing to be more like Jesus. And this all comes, Jesus says, through practicing righteousness. Which is why he's just spent a whole chapter saying, Hey, you should be righteous. Give to the needy. Be prayerful. Fast. Don't let your heart be overwhelmed with this two-master nonsense because it won't work. And if you remember last week, I gave you a list of all the, the ways we can lay up treasures in heaven just in the Sermon on the Mount. With the Beatitudes by hungering and thirsting for righteousness, by being emptied of all that's natural and sinful within us, of mourning over our sin, of being peacemakers in the world through proclaiming the gospel, of, of, of letting our light shine before men, of being the salt of the earth, of uh, being a people of integrity with what we say, of guarding our hearts against sexual sin, of honoring marriage, of 
just trying to go off the top of my head. There's all kinds of ways just in these three chapters that Jesus is saying, hey, here's the path out of anxiety. And we get so caught up with our anxiety, we want Jesus to just give us a pill. Make this go away. Just make this disappear. And Jesus is saying, no, the way, the way out of worry, the way out of anxiety, the way out of all this stuff is to lead a life of holiness. Because Jesus says, that's why God made us. If we will walk in the ways that God says to walk, then so much of what plagues us from the world will just disappear. Not overnight. And what I'm not saying is that there aren't people who will struggle with worry and anxiety for the rest of their life. There are people like that. There are very real physical conditions that plague people, so don't hear me saying that either. But for most of us, Jesus is saying all of this worry and anxiety is, is, is really pointless. Because it's a, it's a brokenness of faith. Time just goes so fast in here. So, the early church understood this. The early church understood what Jesus was saying. Take the truths of God and live them out. And if I do that... I'll have a satisfying life, and the world can't touch it. The world can have no bearing, no input on my joy if I am walking faithfully before God. And so to make sure that you and I know how to do that, God wrote the New Testament. And so here's kind of a way to understand the Bible. The first five books of the Bible are about God creating the world and giving His law. And then we have a history of people trying to obey their way into God's good graces so that you and I don't make the same mistake. And then comes Jesus, God's answer, by saying, you can't obey your way in, you need me to rescue you. So Jesus comes and rescues us. And then we move into the New Testament where Jesus says, now live this out and here's how. And so most of the New Testament is a manuscript or a manual about how to be a Christian. Which is incredible. It is incredible. That Jesus says, the answer to worry and anxiety is living out the life of the kingdom of heaven, and God supernaturally gave us a manual on how to do that. And so do you know what happens, what we are physically saying when we worry? Do you know what we're doing? I'll go look over here for what I need. We're closing our Bibles. We're, we're saying the answer's not in there. The answer's in having more stuff. The answer is in really hoping that a situation works out like I want it to work out. The answer is in whatever, but it's not in here. And when that's where we land, which is where we often land, we worry. And we become anxious. And so Jesus turns this very real issue of worry in our lives. And he says, understand what's most at stake. Understand what's the truest in the situation. What's, what's the reality in the situation? And so I come back to this quote, everything in the gospel is livable. So when Jesus says to you, therefore do not be anxious. <laughs> you know what that means? It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Do not be anxious. Because do you know what anxiety is? Do you know what worry is at its core? It's idolatry. And God said in Exodus chapter 20, you shall have no other gods before me. And so while most of us, I hope none of us have little carved images that we are bowing down to, that tends to be how we think about idols. We don't think about idols in other ways. We don't think about idols as being the source of our anxiety and our worry. We don't think about idols being our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations. We don't think about idols being, uh, we think about money sometimes, but we don't think about idols being our hobbies. Or an outcome that I just can't fathom not happening. 
inappropriate worry, you see it there in your notes, inappropriate worry and anxiety causes us to take our eyes off of Jesus, where we end up substituting despair, hopelessness, and fear in the place of God. And you put it like that, none of us should ever want to worry again. But some of us, if I think we're honest, we like worrying because we feel like we're in control. And you see there, more and more people are developing medical issues because of this. People are stressed out to the max. We're anxious. We're unhealthy. And it's not because we just need to live a, live a, quote, healthier lifestyle. It's because we are not walking in the ways that God says to walk. Whether we are weak or strong, poor or rich, Jesus is teaching on wealth and worry is firmly rooted in what He has done and is doing for us. He is our master. He is our provider. He is the one who has given us kingdom life. He is the one who assigns us kingdom priorities. And He is the one who instills within our hearts kingdom values. And so if you want to know the question of how not to worry, we need to understand this whole sermon. If all you have in your heart is you, if you're just trying to fit God in somewhere, then you'll never, you'll never be at peace. You know, a lot of people quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. They, mis- they misapply that verse a lot. Paul was in a Roman jail cell when he wrote that. And he says, I know how to, I know how to have it all, and I know how to have absolutely nothing. And he says, the secret in all this is to remember that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When our focus is on Christ, when our life is oriented towards God in all things, when we have kingdom priorities, not just big sense, but in an everyday sense, that my personal priority for tomorrow, Thursday, is the the kingdom of God. God says that's that's how we lead peaceful lives. That doesn't mean everything's going to go our way. But God is telling us something essential about who we are. Thoughts or questions before I, I close? For a lot of us, this can involve some very painful things can involve evaluating our lives. You know, we, we want the, the quick fix. And Jesus says, you know, I'm not going to, not only are we not getting a quick fix, but quick fixes never solve anything. Jesus says, not only do I want to see you put away anxiety and worry, I want to see you through it to where you understand it in a healthy way. Which comes through prayer, it comes through study of scripture, it comes through meditation, it comes through fasting. It comes through sharing in a genuine biblical community with other Christians. If you know somebody who's not anxious and who's not stressed out, ask them, hey, why are you like that? Tell me how to be like that. Sit down and be open with somebody about the stuff that stresses you out and let another Christian give input into your life. Let them evaluate you, which is scary if you've never done that. But it's necessary that we, you know, Hebrews 3, 12, the writer says, guard one another's hearts, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. You know what that means? Be open and honest so that someone can tell you, hey, you're going down a path of death. Because in Proverbs 14, we find the words, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it's death. You know what that means? Our hearts lie. Anything else? I know I'm, I answered my own question there, but. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just a reminder. <laughs> Maybe a picture of a parakeet. I think the benefit is that He does forgive. If we are in Him, we are forgiven in full. And we are not confined to live that way. 
And awareness of it, if we are conscious of it, we set it before us and, and, and walk in it intentionally, God's promise is, hey, you'll walk out of it. Which is incredible. Yeah, Psalm 19, or uh, Matthew, whatever. Anybody else? So, hear me well, uh, you, you can't do this by yourself. If you take this to heart and say, alright, I'm just going to work on this on my own, it's not going to work. One of my favorite writers, Christian writer, says that sin demands to have a man by himself. It wants to remain hidden. It wants to remain unknown. And if that's what you do, if you just harbor all this up in your heart and try to deal with it on your own, you'll just keep it all harbored up. But he goes on to say, it's, in, it's when we confess it. It's when we confess our sins, whatever they are. Because none of us in here is a worse sinner than the other one. So Paul says, 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, uh, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's how I start premarital counseling, by the way. <laughs> Between the two of you, you're the bigger sinner, so just get over it. <laughs> Same thing in here. You're a bigger sinner than everybody else. And so when we confess our sins, it's not like, <gasps> we all know we're broken. And so when we confess it, his point is that it breaks it down. It has no more power over us once it's out in the light. So don't neglect the gift that God has given you to walk in honesty with your brothers and sisters. But lots more to talk about, and we'll talk about it until God returns. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray together. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we, we thank you, God, that you speak to very specific things about our lives. You speak to things about our emotions and our mindsets and how we engage with the world every single day. God, you care about how we, we deal with our anxiety and our worry. And Lord, we, we don't want to have idolatrous anxiety. We don't want to have idolatrous worries. Primarily, God, because it's an offense against you, but it's also an offense against ourselves because it brings harm to our bodies, to our minds, to our hearts. It harms our faith. It harms those that we live among and, and interact with. And God, so help us to see that you speak so very clearly and particularly to this issue. And you are, you are pasturing us in this, in this time, in this, in, um, about this issue. That, the, that the, the, the remedy to worry and the remedy to anxiety is to have a right understanding of you. To hear what you have said and to walk obediently in your ways. Reminded of a quote that says, If I am to understand myself, I have to first understand you, oh God. And so help us. We pray, we plead. Help us to understand this in the light of your word so that we might walk in faith, so that we might be a joy-filled people. Thank you for this time. We do pray for Eddie and his team as they're traveling. And many others that are no doubt traveling and in various situations, God. We, we know that just as I just prayed, we know that all of these situations happen under your watch care because you are God. So Lord, be with us as we go. Keep these things fresh on our hearts and our minds. Cause us to speak to one another about them, Lord. Help us not neglect the gift of having brothers and sisters in Christ. 
God, we pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Yesterday we were in them, and I'm having them after we get done with the story to draw a picture of what God spoke to them with us. They were drawing pictures from the Bible, and then they did not want to stop reading. They wanted to keep on. High five for Jesus, brother! I love it. Thanks for sharing, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you, Ben.